And there's a picture on the screen, and they represent Anna and Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford was a wealthy lawyer in the 1800s in Chicago. He was a devout Christian who was an elder of the Presbyterian Church who followed a well-known preacher in Chicago and evangelist at that time named D.L. Moody. He lived during the time of the great Chicago fire where majority of the investments he made in realty was lost. And soon later, Horatio Spafford and Anna lost their only son to scarlet fever. Imagine that, parents, losing your four-year-old child. And when you think nothing could get worse, when you think nothing could get worse, when you lose all your realty investments, when you lose half of Chicago, majority of Chicago in the city limits, when you lose your youngest child, your boy, your four years old, you think it could not get any worse, but it does get worse. Because of this tragedy, we see that Horatio and Anna decided to take their four daughters to Europe, but Horatio was real busy with his business. And so he sent Anna and the four girls on the boat, on this boat to Europe. However, while they were on their journey, they came in contact with an iron sailing vessel, which caused the ship to wreck and sink. Over 200 people were on this vessel, and only 20 survived. And the lonely survivor out of that 20 was Anna. All their four daughters would drown in the middle of northern Atlantic Ocean. Could you imagine that? Losing your son, losing your four daughters, losing all your children, your investments. And Horatio was survived with his, with his wife, Anna. Anna was on a piece of wreckage. And rescuers got her and brought her to Europe. And she sent a telegram because there was no email, right? No Facebook or social media. There were telegrams, and she sent a telegram to Horatio back in New York, and the words that she penned on that telegram was, saved alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Saved alone. I want you to hear the pressure of those words. Upon receiving that letter, Horatio made his way to Europe to, to love on his wife, to counsel his wife, to be there. And while he was on his journey on this boat, the captain stopped over in a specific area in North Atlantic Sea. And he brought up Horatio and he said, he said, Horatio, this is where your four daughters took their final breath. And it was at that moment... God would inspire Horatio to pen one of the most beautiful hymns since our being. The words were called, It is well with my soul. I want you to see some of the lyrics up here. And I want to sing it just for the just acapella. It goes something like this. When peace like a river Attendeth my way. Think about the words. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Think about those words. Whatever my lot thou hast. Taught me 
my soul. Second verse goes like this. And oh Lord, haste the day when my fate shall be sighed. Think about this. The trump be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul. The chorus goes like this. It is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. As your call, one of them, I am not clueless of your life. Every one of you in this room, I know you pretty well. And there's one consistent thing in all of our lives is that we are sorrowful people. There's pain. There's anguish. There's sin. And the question I want to ask you, knowing your life and knowing my life, is you're so well this morning. As I dropped my father off on Thursday, Knowing that that may be the last time I ever see him. Zeke is your soul well this morning. Friday with the ER scare we had in my family. Zeke is your soul well today. Hey, Hoynes, Hoynes at Hots, everybody in this room is your soul well today. You know I can be funny all day long, but I'm going to hit the core this morning. What's stopping you this morning from being well? What's stopping you this morning from seeing your sorrow as your opportunity to be well? And I share all this because we're back in our book study of Acts, verse by verse, and we've landed in chapter 23. And we come to a point where Paul is receiving a lot of sorrow. He's in this situation where his sorrow, apart from Christ, motivates him to do the opposite things of Christ. But because he has a relationship with Christ, he understands that his sorrow is an opportunity to share Christ with the world. Can I get a witness, right? What is your sorrow today? What, you may call it an addiction. You may call it a habit. You may call it a sin. What is your sorrow? What is cutting at your heart today that's cutting you off from fellowship with Christ Therefore, so you can use your sorrow in advancement for the Christ, the Holy One. What is your sorrow 
today. Well, we get to chapter 23 of Acts, and I want you to stand with me. If you don't have your word, it's up on the screen. I encourage you every Sunday to bring your word in form of a smartphone, in form of a literal book. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I want you to read these few verses, short verses today, but we're going to do a two-part series this week. We're going to do the first part this week, and then the second part next week of our series. And it says this, when it was what? Say it louder. When it was day, was it afternoon or night? It probably was morning. The Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had what? Killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Oh, Paul was a bad mama jamma over there. I don't know. He goes and says, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Second time they said that, right? Here's the last verse. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him Before he comes near. Jesus, we need you. Articulate those words to us. Inspire us from your Holy Spirit to identify these words. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's Ohana says, amen. Amen. There is just two truths I want us to see. And before we see those truths, I want you to see an arching theme for today's and next week's message. And the arching theme is this. God is in control even when things in our life are, help me out, out of control. Say that with me. One, two, three. God is in control even when things in our life are out of control. Do you believe that today? In your sorrow, in your pain, in your anguish, do you believe that God is in control even if your life is out of control? And this week, I want us to look at two things that we see in our text. Number one. What is out of control in Paul's life? He is in custody. He is in prison. He is in jail. If there's anybody who understands the pain of sorrow, the pain of persecution, it was Paul. I mean, he was in custody for preaching the gospel. We see it if you turn back to chapter 21. We see Paul arrives in Jerusalem after many years of being gone from doing three different missionary journeys. It was about 25 years he was gone from his Ina. And the Jews from Asia, they didn't have nothing better to do. You know how far Asia is from Jerusalem? Far. Okay? And they spent all their energy, time, and effort... To follow Paul all the way back home to convict him of his crime of sharing the message of Christ. They got nothing else better to do. That's a lot of money, bro. I mean, that's a lot of money to go from Asia all the way to Jerusalem. Never have planes. Never have Hawaiian Airlines. Praise the Lord. You know? You know? All the drama going on. Never have all of that. They either have to walk and sail there. They spent all their time and energy for one old man. That's how threatening this old man named Paul was to him. 
And then while he was in custody, we know he was in custody with the Roman tribune. And so these are two different people groups. You have the, the Jews are one people group. Then you have the Roman tribunes who are Romans. They're two different groups. And the religious people, the Jews, had an issue and a quarry with Paul. Paul didn't kill nobody. Paul didn't steal anything. Paul didn't call no mama any names, right? No mama jokes, right? Paul was simply sharing the love and message of Jesus Christ. And they were threatened by this. And so chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, all these chapters, we see Paul being persecuted for a message that is not even physically threatening to a Roman and Jewish culture. This applies for us today. There's people in our lives who want to see us fail. They want to see Ohana Church fail. They want to see Kahu Z, Kahu Marcus fail. What can they do in Hilo? There's been so many churches started, planted, and then don't last two, three years, and they leave. What can they do? Nothing apart from Christ. Nothing apart from Christ. And Paul understood that. Paul knew the situation. Paul knew God was in control. He was in custody. They beat the, the, the living junk out of him. All right, and the poor old man, they're threatened by him. He was beaten up. He was, he was going through so much sorrowful. And, you know, I think if us Christians are persecuted like Paul, we would act differently. We wouldn't just say whatever we want to say, women, men. If somebody came in this door and you confess your, cry, your life belongs to Jesus Christ and they beat you, you would think twice of what you would say and how you would act and how you would behave. That's the problem with the American culture. We're too free. Our freedom has become our curse. Our curse has become our bondage. Our bondage, listen to me, has become a tool of Satan to use against the church. But don't trip. God ain't done. You hear me? Don't trip. He ain't done yet. We see a glorious Savior all at work in the life of Paul. Some scholars would say, you know, God is absent in this time. God is not absent. God is ever so more present. We see Matthew 10, 22, Jesus reminding us. I'm sure Paul is reminded in this verse. He says, and you will be what? Loved. Say that word. Hate. You know what hate means in the Greek? Hate. It means they absolutely hate you. Everything about you. Right? Like all you bandwagon Seahawk fans. Hate. <laughs> right? Hate. That's how they hate you. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one, listen to me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me tell you who I know is going to be saved in this room. The one who endures. Oh, you didn't understand what I'm saying. I know who's going to be saved. It's the one who endures. Not just the one that goes to the big pretty church that can handle all the gadgets and whistles in the church, but the one who can suffer together. The one who is challenged together. The one who, hey, we don't get them all together, but we understand we don't get them all together. He has it all together. And our custody today is that we need a Savior. His name is Christ. Amen. 
I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me this week. This has been breaking my heart. What does it mean for me to be in custody today? Many things, many things. There is an opportunity to allow your custody, your prison imprisonment, your position to make much of that God is in control when I don't feel like he's in control. But thank God you're working. That's the truth. Here's some evaluation questions for us, right? This is the life of Christ, to suffer. I know I've seen a video and say that's not the life of Christ. It is the life of Christ. To suffer. If anyone should follow me, take up their what? Cross. It's not that pretty Catholic cross we got on our neck. It's the torturing instrument that killed our Savior. It's a suffering cross. It goes on. Here's an evaluation question. I ask myself this. Why do people hate the message of Jesus? Why do they discredit the Bible? I know the simple answer for us is what? Sin, right? But I wanted to go deeper in that. I wanted to understand the world today. I wanted to see what is their reasoning for not believing in Christ or not believing in the Word of God. And so I went to the biggest platform that we all look at every week, a.k.a. social media, right? I went to social media and I went to Fox News. And on Fox News, they stated that GQ magazine, you guys heard me? That already gives you the credibility, right, or lack of. That GQ magazine said that the Bible has been voted on as the most overrated book in 2017 and 2018. Now, now though it's still GQ magazine, that's what everybody's looking, looking to. That's what everybody is listening to on social media. It's the number one resources for people. That's why a lot of people are lost today. But that is the reality. And so I looked at different responses of this. And some of the things that was, that was remarkably incredible was that there's some things that took place that help us understand why people reject Jesus and why they said that the Bible is overrated. And here's the first thing, all right? One responder said to the Bible as being a love later, said this. He said, L-M-A-O, you do the math, or you do it, right? Love my awesomeness, all right? Oh, here we go. All right? He says, a love letter? Question mark. He said, it would be labeled an unhealthy relationship. The Bible's mantra is, love me or you will what? Regret what I do to you. Besides, a book that promotes slavery and orders the slaughter of the innocent is not a moral book. That's some great things to think about. I mean, that, all of that happens in the Bible. I mean, it's out of context, but all of that does happen in the Bible. Here's another responder. The other responder said, in response to the Bible being fiction or nonfiction, real or fake, one said this, the Bible is a work of fiction, meaning fake. Not even a very good one at that. But it's still been existing for 7,000 years, a.k.a. Not even a very good one at that. Written by a bunch of people who don't, didn't understand where the sun went at night. Plus, there are multiple versions and alterations to the original. Well, there's some truth to that. The Bible has been more revamped than the original Star Wars. Praise the Lord for this guy, right? We got mission to do. We got work to do. Finally, here's the last response. It says, in response towards the discredit of the Bible, one says the Bible is certainly no source of reliable information or even the modest attempt at developing a code of morals and ethics. It's about time we saw it for what it truly is. Now listen to me. Those statements matter to us. Why? Because if we want to reach a dying world, we have to come to their level, and that's got to teach us how to love them to the beauty of Christ. 
There's one thing that's consistent with all these responses, right? There's one thing. They choose to simply not believe. Simple as that. You, you heard me? The reality is there's no amount of scientific facts, historical evidence will ever be enough for these people. In fact, the Bible says this, that the cross, right, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Meaning they will always choose the opposite of Christ, sin, death. John 20, 31 breaks my heart. It says it this way. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So while Paul is in custody, he's understanding this verse. I am in custody so that the things that was written, I believe so that others may believe. That's what's going on. He is not wasting his custody. Can I get a witness? He's using this as an opportunity to make much of Jesus. I'm hyper today. But I want you to see some, some bad things that goes on in our context when we understand people in general. Number one, look at this. St. Augustine says this. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Right, that never kick you in the mouth. That, that made me repent this week. Say it with me. One, two, three. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. God has called you. God has called every one of you. The definition of the word angel is the word angelic. It's the word messenger. All right? Like angels, we are to be God's what? Messengers. Yes, it's going to be tough. If we're going to be in custody, yes, it's going to be very intimidating. But listen to me. God is with us. In fact, the name Jesus is given from, from one years old all the way up to six years old. Anybody know the name? Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. That promises that, hey, we're going to struggle just like Brother Paul. But God is with us. When, when, when my life is out of control, God is what? He's in control. Right? We see this truth living out that though he is in custody, he is confident that God is completely in control because Jesus said people will hate me. Jesus said it was going to be tough. Jesus said following him was denying yourself. And if anybody loves self, it's us. How I know. Some of you ladies brought your mirrors with you to church this morning. You love yourself. All right? I talked about the football team. They love themselves in that mirror. Put the mirror down low. They're not going to love themselves much. That's the reality. We love ourselves. Sin. That's sin. And so we see this. Here's the second situation that was going on. Number two, Paul's life is in danger. So he's in custody, but he's in custody because there's danger. And the Bible talks about a plot that was going on in our text. In our few verses, there's three things we see. Number one, these brothers made an oath. They fasted from food and water. And they were going to do that until what? Until they killed Paul. The text is evident in there. Number two, they gathered willing men. Forty brothers. Forty brothers came alongside of these guys, right? Just to be a part of this oath. What, what am I saying? As we are going after the heart of Christ, there are people coming after the heart of Satan. There is good and bad. There is there's glory. There is there's hell. Here's the last thing we see. They devoted themselves to a strategy. They came up with the evil plan themselves to kill Paul. Now, this wasn't leaders of the Jewish community. This was no-name brothers. 
Read it. It said that they influenced the leaders to do their plot. Let me tell you what. In this church, and I don't preach it arrogantly, I preach it with grace and understanding the biblical mandate of pastors. No one in this church makes decisions for this church apart from Kahu Marcus and myself. No Tom, Dick, and Harry will come in this church and decide what this church is going to look like. That's not the way it's set up. I don't speak it in arrogance. I speak it in scripture. Read Titus. Read 1st and 2nd Timothy. Read the pastoral epistles. It will tell you what it looks like to or see church move in the right direction. Why? Because God sets that up in creation. Look at the seven days. There were creation. God specifically created creation. And over all creation, God put man in the garden to rule. It wasn't man, men, plural at the time. It was man, what? Singular. His name was Adam. Everything we're doing today is a reflection of God wants us to be from eternity. In that eternity, you want to call it past, eternity past, in the garden, God has set us up, men of God, to lead the way. Lead the way. But you see, these punks influence the leaders of the Jewish community. The Jewish community could even do what they're called to do. And they allow these these bullies to influence what they will do. What they will do. Look, all of this is one thing, man. They were scared of harmless old Paul. What could Paul do to them? Nothing. Nothing. Look, they, they caught feelings. Right? They caught feelings. And their feelings justified their actions and not the truth of God's word. Because Jewish lived, believed in Jehovah, Yahweh, and it wasn't Yahweh's plan to kill poor old Paul. Come on, can I get a witness, right? He didn't disobey any Levitical law or Ten Commandments. But poor old Paul is being persecuted because people caught feelings. Hey, let me tell you, as a pastor, everybody catch feelings. Every one of you catch feelings when I preach. Every, I catch feelings when somebody preached to me. When we catch feelings, remember this statement. Amen. You guys ready? When you catch feelings, because we are naturally wired to catch feelings. Why? Because we love ourselves. And that's the problem. We think highly about ourselves. And as I was struggling with my health on Friday, rash from the top of the head to the soul, all over my body. We don't know what was going on. I was, I was telling the team, I was like, I was in my tub, and I was trying to get the rash off, and I, and I just stopped, and I said, God, I deserve this and even more. I deserve this. I deserve death. I deserve separation from you. And no lie, right after that, some things took place physically that I completely was healed. I still went to the ER yesterday, but I was completely healed. And I had a great week with the Lord. My time with God was spent, was on was delicious this week, my time spent with the Lord. But God still allowed something to happen to make me more desperate for him. Paul's in custody, and he's desperate for Christ. Can I get a witness? There's a plan to attack his life, in danger of his life, and he's desperate for God. I, I want you to not forget these words out of the Psalms. It says this, blessed is the man who what? Walks not in the counsel of the what? Think about the text. Think about the young punks influencing the leaders of the Jewish community. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of what? Scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, as our church grows, I've heard the, I've heard the comments. Oh, why doesn't Kahu hang out with me like before? Why doesn't this, like, he's so, you know, he's so busy. Maybe there may be a reason that you may cause me to stumble if I hang out with you. Or you may do that for someone else too. Watch who you hang around with. Don't just do what they do because you think they're a godly person and they're, you're, they justify that. Be careful. Be careful who you let your kids hang around with too. If you guys don't know, I don't let my kids sleep over just anybody's house. I want to know every single detail that's going on, what's happening. Why? Because if there's anybody that can steward my child's heart, it's me and mama. I'm not going to get free babysitting because I can't stand them. It's my job to steward them. It's my job to steward their heart. It's the role of a parent. But we become lazy. We let TV steward our boy, children's heart. We let cell phones steward our children's heart. You steward their heart. God is stewarding their heart. Does anybody know? Look at this. Does anybody know what the Bible says about killing someone too? Anybody know? Exodus chapter 20 says you shall not what? Murder. It's the word is murder. You should not murder. Okay, but the Bible has a lot of killing in the, in the book. So how do we answer that? What is right is contrary. First, God says, do not murder. And then here's another part where there's a lot of murdering going on from God telling his people to murder cities and nations. What's the difference? It's murder when God doesn't give you the authorization not to kill. Does that make sense? Murder is you going on your own will, killing somebody. Look at what God did in the Bible when people were murdered. They were evil. They were terrorists. They were sinful. They even killed, as we're going back to the question, they killed innocent babies. Now, we know theologically none of us is innocent. We all inherit the seed of Adam and Eve evilly. We can't go in that deep, but the reality is what, when God initiates a killing, it's because that individual is completely evil. And that even happens in the church. In the New Testament church, had Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to God about the money. And Christian believers, God kills them right in front of the whole church. Why? Because they were stealing. And their credibility as a church was put into check and questioned because they were being moved out from Jerusalem, persecuted. Could you imagine what would have happened if they remained in the church and keep doing crap in the church? How vulnerable they would have made the church to the Jews who were coming after them already. What am I saying? There's things in this church that doesn't look like Jesus. I'm not, I'm not fooled that this church ain't perfect. Get sin in this church. And by the message of Christ, he will do what he can do from the prophetic word of Christ. Amen. I don't have to make you do anything. God is more powerful than that. All I can say is if you're in sin, what a glorious opportunity to come to Christ who can free you from your sin. Amen. There's no perfect church. promise you that. There is no perfect church. You're going to go, you're going to have trials, but there is imperfect churches that need a perfect God, and that's what we come here today, is to meet with God. Look at what Nate said about killing other people. Nate said, the missionary to Ecuador, said this, I am, if I am attacked by a tribe member, I will not kill them, because I am ready for heaven, and help me out, and they are not. Eventually, this man would eat his words. 
Him and five other, four other missionaries will go to Ecuador, reach an un, unreached tribe. It's a movie called End of the Spear. You can watch it online, all right? And his life is taken by these, these uh, natives hacking him with... Uh, hacking them with uh, machetes and spearing them to death. And guess what happened? A couple years down the road, their wives would enter this village and their wives would lead that whole tribe to Jesus Christ. And some of us, we act tough in Tadantadan in this city. We come here because we connect, we from here. Nobody mess with me and talk, this is my aina, right? No, it's God's. You're just a steward of it. And this is my belief on guns. I don't need no gun. Why? Because I'm ready for heaven and many aren't. You with me? He's in custody. He's in pain. He's in danger for his life. Paul was the one doing this like 25, 30 years before. He's persecuting people, beating up people. But he sees the reality that our lives is for the glory of Christ, whether by life or death. He has called us to this. This, is, this only presents one thing then in our text today. And this is the work of Satan himself. The work of Satan himself. Look at John says. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Let me stop you right there. What is our mission? Read it with me. One, two, three. Loving people to the be. All right, now look at the verse again. Look at the mission of Satan. Ready, begin. The thief comes to steal. Not, not just steal, but only. It's the only thing he does. Steal, kill, and destroy. What am I saying? Well, we are trying to love people to the beauty of Christ. There is a devil named Satan and his legion that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your family. He will cause everything. And then you think it's your wife's problem. You think it's your husband's problem. You think it's the child's problem. You think it's your next door neighbor. No, it's a devil issue. It's a devil issue. You don't look at me. You don't need a new husband. You don't need a better husband. You, maybe, maybe physically they can lose some weight like me, you know. <laughs> what you need is Jesus to radic their life forever. That's what you need. You don't need a new husband, new wife, you know, whatever the case. That's the problem with, with relationships. We like the now. Well, you know what that person will look like 10 years from now? You know how they're going to act like 10 years or later? Like, I got to know. I got to know this. Like, for you guys who come for counseling and looking for dating people, I'm going to ask you this question. I mean, there's some questions you got to ask to your future spouse because the devil can torment you in that. Like, I got to know how you look when you wake up, sister. You know? <laughs> I mean, brother, I got to know how your breath smells like when you get me. You know? I mean, like, like are you still going to dress like this 10 years later, 25 years later? I mean, are you going to hold your figure the way you're going to hold after having six babies? Uh, if you had six babies, God bless you, okay? But, like, <laughs> and nobody get to tell you about your shape, sister, okay? If that, I mean, I got to know. I got to know these things. Like, like are, you a, are you a devout Christian or are you, like, a mixture of Hawaiian in there or whatever, like Polynesian? But, like, I got to know this. I got to know, like, what, you, you going to continue work for Walmart or are you going to go, like, to Glover or something like that. Are you, are you going to maximize your work ethic? Are you going to get like, like I can't handle $10 an hour anymore. Are you going to get better? I'm going to have your children. I don't know. I just have to know, like, are you always going to be a, a part of Ohana Church? Like, that pastor is really loud and obnoxious at times. Like, I got to know. I got to know. Are we going to stay in Hilo? I mean, man, Hilo is, my, Hilo is sad, depressing, raining four straight months. I got to know where we're going to stay in the next 20 years. Huh? We're not going to wow. Land is a million dollars for half an acre. And that's Hawaiian homeland. I mean, I gotta know. 
God. That's what the devil does. The devil torments you. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. And Paul wraps it up in Ephesians where he says this. And the same thing Paul says encourages us because the people that is coming for him right now is from Ephesus, Asia. All right? And this is what he says about all circumstances. Ephesians 6.16 says this. And in all circumstances. Look at this up on the screen. Take up the what? Shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What is the shield of faith? What is the shield of faith? It's your trust and belief in Jesus Christ. You say, God, I need you. God, I trust in you. Even when things don't make sense, I trust in you. That's the shield of faith. It is like a football shield bag that we hold up. Like today, we'll have practice, and we'll have a football shield bag. And the shield is actually built an offense and defensive, defensive weapon. It can actually hurt. It blocks. It cuts. It can do a lot of things. Your shield of faith, listen to me, protects you from the schemes of the devil. As you trust in God, remember this, that God will do what he promised. He's not one of those gods that says he's going to do something, but don't do it. He is an awesome God, can I get a witness? He is a righteous God. What he says he will do, because that's who he is, God. That's what makes him God. He's, he's good. He's righteous. What he says he does. And as we wrap up today's message, remember this reality. Faith allows us to trust in Christ when our life is out of control. Because faith reminds us that God is in control. Listen to me again. Faith, allow, faith allows us to trust in Christ when our life is out of control. Because faith reminds us that what? God is in control. That's the truth. And here's what happens. As the band comes up, here's what happens. You can either... Accept the message of Christ today. Be different. Or you can be like a dog that goes back to its vomit and get worse. That's some ugly picture, yeah? But it hits the spot. Listen to me. You can be, you can accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and be different. Or you can be like a dog going back to its own vomit and be worse. I promise you, I am one of the hardest preachers in this city. You know why I know? Because I've been to every church. And the one thing I wanted to be different from every other church, not saying that they're not a godly church, because they're a great godly church, is I wanted to reach people who needed truth and not just a feel-good message. And I believe in year four, we're growing the right way because that's, it's not just coming from the pulpit now. It's coming through our own Hana group leaders. I'm no longer the pastor that always correcting everybody and doing all this. But people in this church are correcting one another. Why? Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel changed lives. Has the gospel changed your life? Has the gospel changed your life? Has the gospel changed your life? Then change other people's life. But some of you may be a call I'm in custody right now. Spiritually struggling, Lord. This is what I want us to do then. I want us to sing a song to him. Probably one of the greatest things to do when you're in custody, when you're in imprisonment in your spirit, is sing to God. Would you stand with us?